Okay. We are on Sunday evenings looking at the the IMs. Jesus says seven times he used that, that phrase in the Gospel of John for himself. Actually, uh, eight times he used it. Uh, the one time we, we're not really looking at, but we talked about every week, is when he talked about the fact that he, before Abraham ever existed, Jesus already existed, and therefore he claimed to be the I am in that, in that situation. Now, now, elsewhere, the other seven times, he talks about himself as the I am of uh, the bread, I am the bread of life. I am the gate. I, and tonight we're going to look at. He, he's going to say, "I am the good shepherd, or the great shepherd." So we're in John chapter ten tonight, and uh, we're going to verse, read verses eleven through eighteen. And if you notice, this is kind of just on the tail end of what we looked at last time, when he is the gate, the door to come in. Now he's going to going to say uh, in uh, in. Uh, Verse 11, he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep, or for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. This commandment I have received from my Father. All right, so tonight, Jesus' statement, I am the great shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Now, most of us believe in here that when we talk, when Jesus, when we talk about Jesus, I th- well, all of us, I think, believe in here. When we talk about Jesus, we're talking about God, right? We believe in the Trinity. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So it's probably little to no coincidence that Jesus chooses to describe himself in this passage as the great shepherd. Because he is the one that authored what was, well, actually inspired the authorship of what David wrote in Psalm 23. So when Jesus says, I am the good or the great shepherd, what is he saying? So let's go to Psalm 23 and let's, let's break that down very quickly tonight. Uh, so when he claims to be the great shepherd, what's he claiming for himself? Three things I want you to see in Psalm 23. And, and you can do a whole series of sermons on Psalm 23 alone. Maybe you've heard those before. But three things in this, in this passage that, that Jesus wants us to know. Okay, Verse 1 through 3, here's what he says. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The, David says of God, of the Lord, that he is that good shepherd. That shepherd that does everything that's proper and right for, for the sheep. He takes care of the sheep. He tends the sheep. He, he guides the sheep. 
the sheep belong to him. And, and again, in, in the Gospel of John, we'll get back to that in just a little bit, but you notice what, John, what Jesus says about himself. I'm the shepherd. I, I, I love my sheep so much that I'm actually willing to lay down my life for my sheep. My sheep are my life. They're why I, well, they're why I, why I've come. And, and here in, in, in the, in the Psalm, David writes about the Lord in such a way that the Lord is there for them. The Lord is that great shepherd that takes care of them, that leads them to green pastures, that, that brings them to the still, still waters, that, that re- brings restoration to their soul. And, 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 and how's he going to lead them? He's always going to guide them, he says here of God, on the path of righteousness. Passes of passes of safety, passes good passes. He won't take them into places of danger. And the same thing when the when when Jesus, our good shepherd, is leading and guide us. He's going to guide us. He's going to lead us in all righteousness always. We've talked that, about that before. So David begins by describing our great shepherd. Verses four, uh, excuse me, verse four. He says this: "Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil." For you are with me, your rod and your staff, uh, they comfort me. And here he describes the good shepherd and Jesus, we would say of Jesus also, as our protector. You realize that if you are in, if you are in Jesus Christ and he is in you, you are protected, you are sealed, you, are, you, you, are, you don't have to fear anything. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear what man will do to you. You don't have to fear what people will say about you. He is that shepherd who is our protector. Okay? I don't, you and I don't have to fear evil. And we don't have to fear the ultimate thing that human beings fear. That's death itself. We know for us that death is just a, it's a veil that we walk through. And, and on the other side of that death, Jesus said he's going to be there. You know? And I, I don't know that I don't completely believe that he... He grabs us on this side and helps us through that veil. He walked through that valley of shadow of death. So, so he has promised to be our protector. And David describes this great shepherd who is our protector as the one who carries the rod and the staff. And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago the difference between the rod and the staff. The staff is for correction, for rescue, for, for, making, for guiding, for pulling them back when, when a sheep goes astray. It's what to catch them by the leg and pull them out of the thickets and all these kind of things. Get in trouble. That's what the, that's what the staff is for. The rod is different than the staff. The rod is actually, we would, we'd actually probably call it a club. And it was used to beat off the wolves, to beat off the predators. It was used to protect the sheep. But you notice both of those are items of protection. You get, you go off in a stray, he uses a staff to pull you back so you don't hurt yourself. But he also protects you from the predators who might come in and try to devour you. He is our protector. When Jesus says, I am the great shepherd, he, he's the shepherd who, who does everything that says in the first verses we read. Plus, he's the shepherd who is our, our protector. The Lord's with me. Who, whom shall I fear? Uh, I mean, do we really believe? And I tried to talk a little bit about this morning that that nothing could touch us except that God says so. So He is the one that, that has His hand of protection upon us. And then verses five and six of Psalm twenty-three said, "You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You you anoint my head." With oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we we have we have organ music. Okay, uh, we have we have the Lord who is our provider. 
He, he, he prepares that table for us. He takes care of our needs. Uh, in in, in his, the Sermon on the Mount, what did he say about that? You know, he talked about the sparrows and he's told us not to worry. He talked about the li- lilies of the, of the field. Not to worry because our, God, our Father knows what we need even before we ask of it. So he is, he is our provider. And, uh, and, uh, and that, how long does that provision last? Well, it, that provision lasts uh, all the days of our life is what he says here. It also talks about anointing our head with oil and our cup. It, it, it overflows. Uh, that, that anointing, if you will, that, that uh, it's a recognition of, of the fact that we belong to him. And, and again, that, that it's not just that he provides a little bit, our cup actually overflows. I was uh, with a, a gentleman that I'm going to do his, part of his memorial service next, uh, next Saturday. And he, Garth is 91 years old. He's a wonderful guy. And uh, uh, several years ago, I did his wife's, wife's uh, service. But anyway, I went and saw Garth in the, uh, in the uh, hospice house a couple weeks ago. And he said, he said, he said Pastor, those two guys finally, finally about to catch up to me. He said, those two guys are about to catch up? He said, yeah, surely goodness and mercy. They just about caught up to me. And he's that kind of guy. So, uh, we, these, these are the things that God has promised for us. These are the things that David describes that, that, that the good shepherd does for us. Now, when Jesus says back over in the Gospel of John, I am the great shepherd, I am the good shepherd, Jesus is claiming this of himself. We don't have a bunch of shepherds. You know that. We have one shepherd. He is the great shepherd. So, as he speaks these words, and we go back over to the Gospel of John now, over here in John chapter 10, as he speaks these words, he's reminding us of what the, David was inspired to write in the Psalms, about what God is like, that he is like that shepherd. And so Jesus speaks these words for us. In Jesus we have everything promised and described by David in Psalm 23. Plus, Jesus expands more upon that, so we, so we have a greater understanding. And so, when you look at this passage back here in John chapter 10, in verses 11, verses 17 and 18, Jesus makes a statement. And this really is an incredible statement. Here's what he said. He said, he said that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what he says in verse 11. Verse 17, again, uh, he says, my, he says, my father loves me because I lay down my life for the sheep. And again, it's not, when we, when we talk about Jesus being the good shepherd, it's not because someone has overpowered him. I want you to see, that's not what he's saying here. He's not saying someone has overpowered him as he's trying to protect his sheep, and because that has happened, he'll die. He's not just saying he'll die for his sheep because someone has overpowered him. Okay, what he's saying is that that as this good shepherd, he's willing to give up his life for, for, for the sheep. And we understand that hopefully on a spiritual level, that unless he died for us, each of us would die in our own sin. Unless he tasted death for us, then we would taste death. Unless he went to the cross, willingly went to the cross, then you and I would still be condemned in our sin and there would be no there would be no payment for our sin and we could not know the forgiveness of sin. We could not know everlasting life. It's incredible when you think about Jesus. 
when, 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 people, when a lot of people think about, about shepherds, they really are thinking more about hirelings. And we'll talk about that in a moment. With Jesus, though, we have a shepherd that not only guides us and protects us and, and, and leads us by those still waters and puts us in those green pastures. Uh, we have with him not some, someone who doesn't, doesn't just provide for us and, 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 and the one who, who, who prepares everything for us. We don't just have him. We have a shepherd who's willing to give up everything for us. The sheep don't just exist for him to drive to market. The sheep really the sheep, we are the sheep and we're important to him. You know, people do not give up their life for, for something that's not important to them. And to God, we were created in the image of God and we were created for God. And Jesus, who is God in the flesh, came and gave himself for us so that we once again could walk and be the children of God. It's an incredible thing when you start putting it in, in, in that light that, that Jesus was willing to do all of that. And then sometimes I think it becomes a little too much of old hat for us. We know the story. We know, uh, we tell people, Jesus died for your sins. And, and, and we say it so easily, but we forget that he didn't do it because he had to do it. He wasn't required to do that for us. He did it because... He chose to do it. And that's what he said. Look, when you look here at this, the verse 18, he says, No one takes my life from me. But what's he say? But I lay it down myself. Christ willingly went to the cross. Christ willingly went to, went to the place of death for us. And Christ willingly died that painful death. Not only the physical, but the spiritual uh, punishment of his father put, put him on. He willingly received that for you and, and for me. And he reminds us that, that he had the power to lay it down, and he had the power to take it back up again. And, and, and it, it always hits me, and I say this a lot, I, I know, but it always hits me that, that he could have just stopped it at any time. He could have just said stop, and it would have stopped. He could have said stop, and everything would have stopped. He spoke it into existence when it all began. I hope you believe that. And he could stop it with his word. Matter of fact, when he comes back, have you read the book? You know, at the beginning of the book, he speaks a word and it is. At the end of the book, it says that he will come and he will destroy his enemies with the sharp two-edged sword that comes out of his mouth. What is that? It's the word of God. It's his word. He speaks it all into existence and when all th- everything's said and done, he'll speak it to whatever he wants it to be. He has that power. It's an incredible thing. When we think of Jesus being meek and mild, we we hear him described as meek and mild. And sometimes we think weak, uh, excuse me, meek equals weak. But that's not at all. If you you want a definition for meekness, it, it really is strength under control. Jesus could have done anything he wanted to do. He could have stopped the whole thing. Now, I just have to say it here. When, when we think about the shepherd and the sheep, uh, what does the sheep really have to offer the shepherd? And, and the answer, before you go in a bunch of different directions, is really nothing. Okay? The, if you think about the sheep, have anybody ever worked sheep at all or seen them work? They are completely and totally dependent upon the shepherd. And we've seen, we've probably seen, you've probably seen shepherds who have sheep dogs and stuff, but sheep are dumb. 
and they will find themselves in danger very easily. I've always wondered this about us sometimes, we human beings and stuff. We know better, we know better, and then we find ourselves doing things that we know better we ought not to do. We know what's going to happen when we do it, and we go do it anyway. That's, that's a sheep move. Okay? That's how sheep do. They, they, they just don't think. Uh, they just go and do. And, and it's one reason why we need someone who will protect us. Sheep will go to their own destruction if they do not have a shepherd. And we have a shepherd that is not only there to do all those things described in Psalm 23, but we have a shepherd who, who realizes we're already dead spiritually. We've already crossed that, crossed that line, and we have no hope except that we have a shepherd that willingly laid down his life for us. But here's the other thing, and he says it here. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. Well, world history has told us there have been many people who have died for other people. We honor those people, don't we? We call them heroes. Okay? But also world history ought to be telling you that there's only one who overcame that and, and came back. And that's Jesus. He did. He laid down his life for us, but he took back his life. He came back. So death was not the final thing for him. That doesn't make any less what it was. It was death. And it was punishment from his father. But he overcame all of that, and, he, and, and because he did, we now, who are his sheep, have the promise of eternal life. If Jesus just died for us and didn't rise from the dead, Paul says, then our faith is empty. There's, there's no, there is no legitimate claim upon our, our eternal life if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. It just doesn't exist. How can the one, how can someone offer to you eternally that which he cannot have for himself? So if Jesus is dead in some tomb, his bones are in some tomb in the Middle East, and he never rose from the dead, then we have no hope. That's what Paul says in in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. We have no hope at all, and, and and we're actually deceiving ourselves and deceiving other people. We have a shepherd who's willing to lay down his life. We have a shepherd who's able and, 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 and all-powerful to, uh, to raise his life, to lift his life up, 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 up again. That's the shepherd that we have. He's an incredible, great shepherd. He not only provides for us daily, he provides for us eternally. All right? So then, Jesus goes on to talk about the difference between a shepherd and a hireling. Look at verses 12 and 13. After he says that a shepherd, I'm the shepherd who will lay down my life, then he makes this statement. He says, he says, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling. And does not care about the sheep. In other words, the hireling is, by definition, a paid employee. And he only does what he does as long as it fits the job description. And, and he gets paid for it. You know, the hireling has the attitude, I'm not going to work a minute more than, than what uh, I agreed to work. And I'm not going to do anything except that which I agreed to do. Uh, the world has changed a whole lot in the last several years. If, you know, some of you have probably been in management and stuff like that. And people approach every job, it seems like, that way. Uh, here's what 
is written down. Here's what I'm, I'm willing to do and stuff. I, I just have to say, I remember my dad, as he taught us how to work and stuff, was, the point was, when you're on the clock, you do what needs to be done. Whatever it was that needed to be done, you did that. And, uh, you know, it doesn't fit my job description. Everybody has a job description. Uh, you got to be careful of that. That's, that. That really is a hireling type, type approach. You know, even in, even in the ministry, you have to be careful that you don't fall in that hireling type approach. This is what they've hired me to do. No, you know, if you're going to minister the gospel, you've got to minister the gospel at every opportunity and, and however it plays itself out. Um, Jesus says here that what you can expect from a hireling is that a hireling will act like a hireling. That's what he, that's what he says. He said, but a hireling, he, 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 who, he who is not a shepherd, he's not a shepherd. He is a hireling and he does what a hireling does. And he's not going to put his neck on the line for the sheep. Why? Because they're not his sheep. He really has no investment in the sheep. All he has investment in is to get the paycheck. Everybody got that? And, and, and certainly Jesus is talking here, using this analogy, talking here about the religious leaders that were that were manipulating the people in the day that Jesus was there. And you'll remember that Jesus had, had some pretty strong statements to the religious leaders of his day. It's not a compliment for a Pharisee, a, a Sadducee, a scribe, some, a member of the Sanhedrin to be called a hireling. It's just not a compliment. Okay. Yet that again is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying here that that, that hireling is, is, is the one who, 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 who is there to do what they need to do to get what they want. They are not there because of the sheep. And so when trouble comes, a hireling will flee. When the wolves come, a, a hireling will not lay their life on the line for those sheep. They'll, they'll, they'll leave the sheep to tend for themselves. And Jesus draws that difference between he who is the shepherd who's willing to lay down his life for the sheep and the hireling who is just there for the paycheck and has no care or no concern about, about the sheep. Um, I, would, I, would, I would suppose that it would be a good time to think about uh, even in modern day churches that, that you, you possibly could have pastors, they do exist, I know some, that are actually hirelings. And they spend their whole life trying to move up, move up the ladder on, to a bigger, better, greener pastures. And uh, uh, it really is sad. It's not only sad for them, it's sad for the churches that they, that they serve. Because they're really not serving the churches, they're actually serving themselves. The reality of a, a lot of our churches is, is you have two things going on in churches. You have, you have churches that eat pastors. That's true. They chew them up, spit them out. And you have pastors that eat churches, and they chew them up and spit them out. Okay, and they'll use them for what they need to use them for, then they'll move on. Um, and one, I think one of the indicators that you can find about those is, is when you find guys that have been in ministry, maybe been at more than one church. If that, I always thought, what I always thought was said, I followed two pastors that could never return to the church that they pastored because of their immoral actions. And the way they, they abuse. That to me would be the saddest thing to think that you could never return to a church that, that you ministered in, in for years because you treated it as, as a hireling would treat, treat it. Okay? It's true that God can move us to different fields of service, 
But what also ought to be true is wherever God puts us, we're, we're there to invest our lives in those people's lives and love them while God has us there and to love them afterwards. They may get another pastor, but you can still love them. Um, I always feel like it's an honor when someone from my first church of almost uh, 20, well, it's a lot of years. A lot of years ago, push, almost coming up to 30 years now, will still call me up and ask me to do a funeral or something like that. Okay, Or be a part of it and stuff. It, it means a whole lot. Um, Jesus is, is trying to help these followers see that there is a distinct difference between someone who is, a, even in this case, a religious leader who is there for their own purpose and, and, and the true shepherd who genuinely loves his sheep and would give up even his life for his sheep. So he draws that picture. And then, and then as Jesus closes out this, this passage here, he, he, he reminds us that because he is the good shepherd, he knows his sheep. And there's something that happens when a good shepherd or a shepherd, a leader in any sense, really knows their sheep. You know, guess what else happened? Their sheep know them. That's what Jesus says here, both things. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So, you know, he talked, I talked, about, talked about elsewhere that, that, uh, about them hearing a voice and they hear another voice and, and they won't follow that voice. Why? Because they don't know that voice. Okay? So, when Jesus talks about that he is the good shepherd who knows his sheep and he, and he is the good shepherd that he is known by his sheep. Uh, known by his sheep. And he says, I know my sheep, and I am known by them, in verse 14. And then he goes on to say, it, as, my, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. This is not the first time he, sp- he spoke like this, or excuse me, it may not be the last time he spoke like this. You remember uh, when, when he was in the garden, and when he prayed for us. Remember what he prayed? Something very similar to this. He said, Father, as I am in you, and you are in me, may they be one in us, and and one together. So he prayed that way. There is a unity that comes with knowing the Good Shepherd. Okay? There is a a, a, a feeling of, of belonging. You know he's your shepherd. You know his voice. You know his heart. You know the things that, that are important to him. And, and he knows those things about you and still cares about you and me. He knows his sheep. i ask you this. Have you ever tried to hide something from Jesus? Anybody besides me? Have you ever, did you think you got away with it? You ever convince yourself maybe you got away with it? It's funny. Sometimes we do play games with God when it comes to this, with, uh, with, our, with our Savior. You know, as if we don't say something to him. And if we don't say it, he doesn't really know what's going on. But he does. Because he is the good shepherd who knows us intimately. He knows everything about us. It amazes me when you watch people who deal with animals. And most of my experience growing up here in the valley had to do more with cattle than with sheep and stuff. But those guys who dealt with, with those cattle when I was growing up and stuff, they knew those cattle. And they could tell you who were there. They could tell you, well, that's that one over there and it's got this spot and it's got, you know, it's got this kind of thing. They knew the ones they could get in the pen with and be okay with. They also knew the ones you stayed out of the pen with. You know, I guess you learned that pretty quickly, not to go in there. But, but the, 
They know. And, and when you think about Jesus, Jesus says, I'm the shepherd, the good shepherd that knows my sheep. He knows you inside out. And what I really ought to blow you away with that thought is that he still loves you. And he still loves me. He knows all our shortcomings. He knows all our little quirks. He knows, he knows the bad things and he knows the good things. He knows your limitations and he knows your giftedness. He knows all of that stuff. You know, and he loves you. Why? Because he's your shepherd. He loves you because you are his sheep. And you say, well, what, what, if, what about if I'm not quite up to par? Have you ever watched a good herder or a good shepherd? What do they do with the animals that are not quite up to par? If they're good, they give them more attention and more time. They take care of them. When that baby won't eat from its mama, then they'll, they'll take that baby and they'll put that baby in their arm and they'll put milk in a bottle and they'll, make sure they'll, they'll hand feed that baby. You know, Jesus knows us. And sometimes we want to evaluate ourselves by saying, well, I don't measure up or, or I don't, I'm not as good as this person or that person. It's not, a, it's not a contest. We have a shepherd who loves us all. Why? Because we're his sheep. And he knows what you need. And he's just asking you and I, you and I to trust him. So he said, he says, um, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. In verse 26, the interesting statement. Now, if you are a a former or planning to be a Mormon, uh, uh, this is a verse that the Mormons teach when they talk, teach about. Uh, the other sheep that Jesus has. Jesus says here, I, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. So they say, well, the Book of Mormon is the completion of this one verse. That, that group with Joseph Smith is a, but that's not what he's talking about at all. Remember who he's talking to here, primarily. Who's he talking to here? Say it again. Jews. To Jews. To his disciples who are Jewish men. Now, clearly in the time that Jesus got here, any thought that when the Messiah came, he would have any real impact or be there for the Gentiles was completely gone. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you can find that Isaiah, Isaiah says it several times, where Isaiah says that, that when Messiah came, he would not only be Messiah for the Jews, but he would be, be Messiah for the nations. That's a promise. Okay? But clearly in Jesus' time, the Jewish religious leaders and most of the Jewish people who were raised up under, their, under these teachings would have, would have had no concept at all that the Messiah would, would come only for, only for uh, uh, well, they, they believe that Jesus, the Messiah would, would come only for the Jewish people and would not be extended to the Gentile people. And it's interesting now you have some people that have flipped that completely around in their theology. Some prominent teachers today on TV. Some people you probably listen to and you think are great and hung the moon and stuff like that. Who would teach such things as that Jesus actually didn't even come to be the Messiah for the Jews, but he came to be the Messiah for the Gentiles. See, they took it and turned it all the way around. Well, Paul clarifies that, and I think Jesus clarifies it here. Jesus states it here, and later on Paul clarifies it in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for the power of God for salvation unto the Jew first, and then for who? Then then to the Gentile. Don't you think it's a little bit more... God has a sense of humor. I think he does. Look who he put in charge 
of primarily spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. This Jewish scholar who was a zealot for the Jewish faith and God finds him, when, when Jesus finds him, God, he finds him trying to punish people for, for believing in Christ. And, and so what does God do? He turns around and puts him as a missionary to the Gentile nations. And God, God has a way of doing that sometimes. God has a way of bringing us right face to face with the people we don't want to be around. People we don't want to share. Even maybe some people we don't think deserve to be shared with. You know, Jesus demands that we love. We love in Christ. It's a hard thing. I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room that struggles with loving their enemy. Right? Okay, y'all, y'all are perfect. So I, I mean, I'm so. All right. So loving, loving, loving our enemy. So. When Jesus uses this, this passage here, it really is a declaration, again, I think out of the Old Testament, to say that when he's come to be the great shepherd for all mankind, for the Jew and for the Gentile alike. But again, at this point, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't specifically say that because it, it probably would have been... You know, have you ever got in a theological discussion with somebody, if you're not careful, you, you, you give information that leads to a whole other discussion and you miss the main point of what you what you're saying happens all the time doesn't it wait a minute that's another that's another discussion for another day Jesus wasn't trying to get into a theological discussion about whether Messiah was there for the Jew and the Gentile he was just trying to tell them I'm the shepherd and 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 I even have I, I'm the good shepherd and I even have flocks that that are not a part of this flock and you have no idea about why I've came he reminds us that he's a good shepherd that knows his sheep and that his sheep uh, know, know him. Um, uh, verse 16, And the other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice. And there will be how many flocks? How many flocks? There will be one flock and how many shepherds? One shepherd. Here's what you got to get. There's not, listen to me, there's no such thing as dual covenant theology when it comes to salvation. There's not one way for the Jew and one way for the Gentile. There's only one way to salvation, that's Jesus. So when you hear these guys on TV, when they ask them, well, what about the Jews? They believe in God. And they say, and, and, and many even evangelical preachers sort of shy away from that. They won't say, but they, but they need to believe in Jesus. And they do. There's only one way to salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ. And when you think about the church, the church is made up of believing Jews and Gentiles. We've got to be careful of, we have people, there's a movement even in this community, it's not very big so you may not know about it, it is, it is a movement to, to return back to basically Judaism. And unfortunately many of those people that are going back, they're not Jews at all. Just someone has convinced them that, that somehow uh, the New Testament has lost the essence of what, of what it means to follow God and so they're returning to the law, they're returning to the dietary things, they're returning to, to, to keeping the Sabbath, they're returning to all these kind of things and, and they, they don't even recognize Jesus any longer as Messiah. Because they think somehow someone has convinced them that if they keep the Old Testament law, then somehow God will receive them again. What a very sad, sad thing for people to get carried away with. And if you're not careful, even some messianic 
congregations require of their people to almost return to Judaism before you can be right as a Christian. And, and again, you got to be careful of those things because, you know, again, it's good to know what the Old Testament says. It's good to study the Old Testament because it, it shows us the heart of God. But Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. And Jesus is the Messiah for all those who will know the Father and all those who have everlasting life. So he says this, that, that the sheep will hear his voice, they will respond to his voice, and there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. Again, tying in with what Paul says later on in the book of Ephesians. How many baptisms are there? How many churches are there? How many bodies are there? What's he say over and There's one baptism, one, one church, one body, one Lord over all and in all. I mean, he makes it very clear there's only one. So, uh, I think you got to be careful with, even as Baptists, uh, you know, those of you who've been Baptists for a long time, some of you I know are not Baptists, but, but every, every movement that's been around for a long time has this idea of, of, uh, of being the church. And no other group is the church. I know some Baptists deny the thought of, a, of what, what we would call a universal church. I say, I think you're silly. I understand there is a local church. I understand there is a local fellowship. But if you don't believe that there is a universal church, you've missed a whole lot of what the scripture says. The church is not just made up of a denomination or a small group or, or one little fellowship that gathers together. The church is made up of the redeemed, those who have trusted Jesus Christ. Some would say from Pentecost until the rapture. And some carry it further than that. But that, that's good enough for me. Pentecost to the rapture. Okay? Uh, that's the church. That's the body of Christ. Does the church meet in local, lo- local groups? Of course it does. Does the church gather in local fellowships? Of course it does. But it's a part of the universal church. It, it doesn't stand alone. That's why you'll have in some traditions things like closed communion. The Lord's Supper. Only for, and it's a crazy thing, closed communion, it just blows my mind. Because it's, it is closed, true closed communion means that only that local church can participate in that communion. I've been asked to leave a Southern Baptist church that I was visiting one Sunday morning because I wasn't a member of that local church. And on the way out I told Teresa, what's incredible to me is because I'm a Southern Baptist pastor, they at one time could call me to be the pastor of their church. But I'm not allowed to. I'm not allowed to share the, the Lord's Supper with them. Okay, it leads to that kind of thing. It leads to believing that the only biblical baptism is the for for us is baptism in a Baptist church, and that's just not true. That's not true. We have brothers and sisters. We have other churches in this town that baptize their people biblically, for the same reason we baptize people. We've got to be very careful of this. doesn't mean we're not distinctly who we are. We are who God has made us, who God has called us to be. But sometimes we carry that to that nth degree, and we actually shut out genuine brothers and sisters in Christ because they don't carry our label. And that's why I always make an emphasis when we have Lord's Supper. I, I want to say to people, this table does not belong to First Baptist Fountain Hills. This table does not belong to the Southern Baptist Convention. This table is the Lord's table. 
And if you belong, if you belong to him, you're welcome at this table. Who are we to tell someone <laughs> that they can't come to the Lord's table? So when, when you look at this passage here, Jesus again is talking about that, that group that, that belonged to his flock. He is the great shepherd of the whole flock, of the, of the whole group. And, and, and he expands that, and he goes on, and he closes out this thing by saying, he said, you know, and he said, therefore my father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. What an incredible relationship Jesus has with his father. There's a dynamic that goes on there, up to and including going through the Garden of Gethsemane, that just, I can't comprehend. Jesus came to do what he came to do. Yet in the garden, he's asking his father if there's some other way. I don't understand all the dynamics that are there and stuff. What I do know, if I believe what the scripture says, is that he was fully man. So the struggles we have in being human, though our humanity is tainted by sin, the struggles we have in being human, Jesus had to face those too if he was human. And the Bible talks about that. He hungered, he thirsted. He was tempted in every way that we're tempted, yet without, without giving in to sin. He walked as a man. And so all those things we experience as a human being, he fully experienced. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says, in him we have a great high priest who is not in touch by the feelings of our infirmities. He knows where we're at. So there's a dynamic going on there that I don't think we can fully comprehend. And so Jesus pulls that into this passage as he closes this out. He says, therefore my father loves me. Well, of course your father loves you, but my father loves me because I lay down my life for the sheep. Because I willingly lay down my life for the sheep. And it's all a part of the father's plan. It's all a part of God's eternal plan. Because not only will he, as he says, not only will he lay down his life for sheep, but he will take it back up again. So that as he lives, you and I too can live. This is the great shepherd. When Jesus says, I am the great shepherd, he speaks of the one who lays down his life for the sheep. He speaks of the one uh, who is not a hireling, but who genuinely loves his sheep and is willing to give up everything for his sheep. And he speaks of the good shepherd that knows his sheep and that is known by his sheep. So when he talks about being the shepherd, that's what he's talking about. It ought to be very comforting to you and to me that Jesus Christ is a good shepherd. And that he's there to do everything that David talked about the Lord who is our shepherd would do for each and every one of us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for tonight and I thank you for our time together. And I pray, Lord, as we've looked at this tonight that, that maybe you've shown us something new and wonderful. As we consider that in Jesus Christ we have a great shepherd who loves us completely. He knows us and he loves us completely. And he's done everything for us that needed to be done so that we can be right with you. We're so grateful for that. Now Lord, help us to walk out into the places that you're going to take us from, from this gathering tonight. And into the week. And help us to trust our good shepherd. To walk in him to listen to his voice, and to follow wherever he leads us. Lord, I thank you for this group that gathered tonight, and for the other groups that are meeting in the building here tonight.
that, that you're there and you're speaking to our hearts. Give us ears to hear and give us faith to trust you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.